they have a deep-seated fear of commitment. That's actually not true. But I do have an authority problem. And schedules. Yeah, I just never know. (laughs) (laughs) With the schedule, you do. Anyway. (laughs) Kind of the issue, huh? (laughs) Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, everyone. So here's the deal. Maybe you're a first-timer. You don't know. You're like, who are these people? Why am I even listening to this? How'd they get in my headphones? What is a misfit star? Did I click something wrong on my phone? What's going on? Where's my grandnephew? Oh. Uh, Because maybe that's the person who's helping with your phone. Oh. Because you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Exactly. That's who helps me with my phone. Yep, for sure. (laughs) So here's the deal, people. Here's the setup. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. That's it. That's the entire justification for us having a podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty flimsy, if you ask me. Yeah. But we're persevering. We're going with it. Onward. So, this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking. With one another, sure, but also kind of with you, Mm, right? Yeah. The idea is to help you feel like you're sitting here on the couch next to Shannon, looking at me, sitting in the blue chair across, and we're just all talking about what's going on. We're hanging out. That's it. That's what we're doing. We focus it on what's mattering to us this week. Hopefully some of it resonates with you, too. Regardless of all of this, we are so happy you're here. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time. And hi, Sugar. Hi. That was such a good intro. Dang. High five. Thank you. Yeah. Ouch. That was a, <laughs> that was a solid high five. It was a good high five, but both of our hands are kind of sore. We did so much yard work, it's people. It's true. Ugh. And okay. the, the, the thing they don't tell you is that what hurts when you're done with yard work? It's the hands. It's your hands. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start off with some announcements, announcements, announcements. announcements. Woohoo! We have announcements. Hurrah. First of all, my, my first announcement is Happy Pride Month. <gasps> happy Pride Month, everyone. We, I think, <sighs> yeah, it was just like the cusp of the beginning of June on last week's podcast. It wasn't, it wasn't time yet, but now it's time to wish yeah. you Happy Pride Month. We got a brand new flag because our, our flag, our flag that we put up last year on, uh, for Pride Month Ended up staying up all year. We it was, just kept it was Pride up. Year. It was Pride Year. It just felt important to do. Yes. Because... Um, We've got multiple uh, gender diverse and trans kids on our block. And they, they need to be represented. Yeah. And, you know, we're living in a time where uh, there are real threats against folks who are in the yeah. queer community. And, like, I just felt important to, to keep the flag up all year as sort of a public statement on our little street that... We support um, we support human rights. We support human rights for LGBTQ people, and mm-hmm. and I think it's important that we just that we're all really like intentional about being vocal about this right now because there's there's there are people pushing an agenda. Y'all, y'all know this. You don't need me to tell you this, but there's people pushing an agenda where they're actually putting into laws stuff that act that harms actual people. Yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> but it's a minority of people who are pushing these things into law. So it's important that the majority of us who actually believe in humanity and believe in human rights speak up and get active. And part of that is just making yourself visible yeah. as, as an ally if you are, uh, if you are a, a, a cis straight person, uh, if you are not queer. But you know, everyone, speak up. Now's the time. Yep, silence favors the oppressor. And you know, people, I think it's really important, especially in context of what Shannon was just talking about, to remember that the uh, like pride, it didn't start out as, and still to this day does not mm. represent Happy Fun Rainbow Month. Mm. That's not the point of it. It's not like, oh, gays are so fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's true. They are. They're fantastic. <laughs> Love them. But 
the point of the pride. The origin of pride. The origin of, I mean, the original pride was a riot. Right. Quite literally. Yeah. The first pride was like destruction of private mm-hmm. property because they couldn't take it anymore, all the discrimination mm-hmm. they were facing. Mm-hmm. I'm not advocating for the destruction of property. That's not the point. But the point is that pride has always been a protest. That's mm. the genesis of it. That's the point of it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would urge all of you to treat this month. Yeah, do celebratory shit. Absolutely. Celebrate queerness with your queer friends and with your straight friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but also, like, it's really important that we center the value of protecting the most vulnerable among us in this time. Mm-hmm. This is their month. This month is for visibility for them. That's the point of it. You know what I think that um, pride months, pride celebrations have taught me over the years. Um, Like, I think that that was the first time I saw protest in the form of joyful celebration. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like that, that is in the face of, of really harmful stuff in the face of discrimination and, um, and, and in, you know, laws that actually threaten people's livelihoods, healthcare, you know, basic right to exist. Yeah. You know, the the fact of responding to that with the joy of this is me fully human living my life as myself yeah that's so inspiring yeah. like like honestly like i feel like the power there's so much power in that there's so much power in the response to uh to those those threats and those harms mm-hmm. being I'm going to live my life. Look at me. Even louder. Yes. Fuck you know you. what I mean? And so I, I love that. And yeah, it's important to remember. But we had to replace our flag because it was up all year and it got faded and sort of torn. Yep. And so we have a brand new flag out front. It's so great. It's glorious. Happy Pride. Happy Pride, everybody. Uh, announcement number two. Mm-hmm. We have a new 80s kids song. Hell yeah. We were teasing it last week. It is now out in the world. We have released our version, our take, if you will, (laughs) on Take On Me, originally recorded and released by AHA in 1985. Mm. Uh, If you were were listening last week, you heard me tell the story of listening to this song over and over again on my yellow Sony Walkman on the way to science camp Mm -hmm. in sixth grade. This was the song. And uh, we had so much fun making it. So go listen to our new 80s kids song. You can listen anywhere it's stream, anywhere you stream music, mm-hmm. all over the world. If you are a Bandcamp person, you can go download it or stream it on mm-hmm. Bandcamp. If anywhere else, Spotify is, is great. Um, anywhere you listen, it's Apple there. Music, Deezer, Cobas, I don't know how you live your life. We will put a link in the show notes to sort of an aggregate link to all those places uh, where you might want to find it and go listen. Please do. We're going to talk about it a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah, we are. And I do, uh, you know, while we're talking about how to listen to it, want to say, like, if you like it, please put it on a playlist. Oh, yeah. Please share it with people. Yeah. Uh, Spotify helps us the most. Spotify is what all of the people with whom we're trying to interact in a business sense right now, that's yeah. what they look at. It's Not true. to get like super wonky and businessy, but like we are, as you guys know, expanding our operations in a bunch of different ways, <laughs> kind of into more normative industry structures. You know what I mean? Or yeah, into public places instead yeah. of people's backyards, which yeah. we've been doing for a decade. Because you know, when, when we like agree to play a show with you in your backyard, you're not asking us, well, how many Spotify numbers do you do this month? <laughs> but when you reach out to a theater in, I don't know, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, 
they might be curious. They might, they might be a little more curious. To a radio station who might be considering adding us, yeah. they would, they're curious about that stuff too. So yeah, if you are a Spotify listener, definitely add it to some playlists, share it with people. That would be really helpful. Yeah, play it on repeat while you're sleeping. Put the volume <laughs> down, stream it, I don't know, 7,000 times. Get creative. Yeah. Um, great, so that's, uh, that's the new 80s kids song. Mm -hmm. The third and final announcement mm. is this. We are going on summer break. Woo! Um, I love doing this podcast. Yep, and one of the things that makes me love it is taking a break from it. Yeah. <laughs> and we took a summer break last year. It was the best decision for us. So we're going to repeat that. We're going to be, this will be our last episode um, before summer begins. Mm -hmm. We'll be back again with a new season starting sometime after summer ends. We don't even exactly know a date yet, but you know we'll be back uh, uh, in, as we inch toward fall. And you'll hear from us again, but we will be rejuvenated. We will be rested. It will be, uh, we'll, we will have had a summer of not having this weekly thing uh, on our calendars so we can mm -hmm. do the things, other things that we love to do, like working in our yard and making our hands hurt like hell, yeah. <laughs> or like going on hikes uh, around uh, our beautiful state. Um, just getting a little bit of, of time away from sort of this structure. It's going to help us come back with, a, with renewed vigor. Yeah, I think that's true. And the best thing that you can do yeah, uh, because surely you're going to miss us and you're Aww. sad. I don't know. I know. I know. But what you can do is you can hit subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to this in right now. That's a great idea. Because then it'll just let you know when we're back. That's high five again, but I'm not going to actually high five you because- I'll make the sound. Ready? It, it, it hurt way too bad last time. Yeah. That just hurt when I did it to myself too. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jamie, mm. let's get into it. How are you feeling today? Oh, thanks for asking, sweetie. You know, so uh, two things. First of all, the general container for how I'm doing is I'm good. I'm feeling happy and uh, unburdened and everything's good. But also I detect that somewhere under the surface, I'm feeling some kind of like uncertainty mm -hmm. and instability. Mm. Not like in a bad way, like I'm going to have some weird psychotic break or something, not like mm -hmm. that. But just like, I feel like I'm in between things somehow. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like a planetary movement kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm in a liminal space. Okay. And I'm not 100% sure why. Mm. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to remain like uh, uh, sensitive to it, aware of it, open to it, mm -hmm. you know? I'm not quite sure what it augurs. Yeah. What it portends, if you will. Other synonyms. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> but- you know, it's just there. It's kind of under the surface mm -hmm. and I'm not a hundred percent, hell, I'm not 1% sure what it means, <laughs> but it's there. So, you know, just noting that, putting a pin in that and we'll yeah. just kind of see. But generally speaking, doing good. How are you? I'm good. You know, can I just speak to your uh -huh. stuff for a moment? I, I, I have moments of that too. I'm not feeling that particular thing today. But, you know, we are in a sort of a transitional time right mm, now. You yeah. know, we, we did our big first theater show in April. It was awesome. Yep. And now we're in the state, the phase two of now what? You uh, know, and we know what we know what it is reaching out to other areas where we have a conglomeration of sort of people in our community where we want to do more of these shows. But this is like, this feels like the big next step and it's scary as shit. You know, like it, it really is. We're moving into a new a new thing here we've not tried before. We were talking with um, our friend and misfit star Lizzie yesterday on the phone mm -hmm. about this, um, this idea that we're, we're in this space where we are convinced that this is the direction we should go. This is, this is the road we're on. We can't see too far down the road though. Mm -hmm. And it feels really 
uncertain, yeah. you know? And I don't know if that's the, that's the, what's causing your feeling or not, but I know that for me, when I'm having those feelings lately, it is oftentimes attached to that because yeah, be. we're setting out on something new. But also, this is like, this is kind of status quo for the life of a couple of artists. Mm-hmm. Like, it is constant, like our life has constantly been this iteration of, uh, iteration after iteration of, okay, it's time to reinvent something either because we have to or because we feel compelled to, you know? Uh, and then we reimagine and we, we feel like, you know, we, we, we get sold on, on, on sort of where our, our spirits are calling us, what we're going to, what we're supposed to do next. And then we have to actually execute. And mm-hmm. that's always scary. It mm-hmm. never gets not scary. Yeah. And even though we've done it a whole bunch of times before, it's just, it. That is just part of the journey. It's just, it just is. Yeah. So, you know, I feel you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, uh, well, I appreciate that. And that said, how are you feeling? Yeah, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling centered. Oh, good. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm feeling engaged. Mm-hmm. I have uh, work on my plate that I am enjoying doing. And it's just, uh, that's, I feel good about that. Mm-hmm. I'm also engaged in like doing nesting projects around the house. (laughs) Said yard work, sore hands. Um, So I just, I just feel like engaged in my life and and I'm enjoying that. And I'm feeling curious also, Mm. uh, curious about how these next several, few to several months are going to sort out for us Mm -hmm. as we pursue these new things. Um, So my feeling around that today is curious, not... And not uncertain. Flip side of the same coin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm feeling I'm feeling all right about that. Good. So yeah. Um, how about we get less dumb? Class, anyone? Anyone? Oh man, I've got an interesting one. Okay. This is so interesting. What is it? So uh I just stumbled the other day upon this Psychology Today article. Okay. From actually a few years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, But I had never heard about it before. And uh, the headline blew me away and reading further through it blew me away. So I'm just going to take us on a little tour through this. Okay, I'm so so curious. Here's the headline. Single moms, less housework, more leisure than married moms. What? And the subheadline is without a spouse in the house, single moms do fewer chores and get more sleep. Really? I know. Okay. It's It's extremely counterintuitive. Can you unpack this? Oh, man, totally. So I'll just read the first couple little paragraphs because she frames it in a cute way. She says, pity the single mothers with no spouse in the house to help out with the chores and the childcare. They must be far more sleep deprived than married mothers and getting a chance to just kick back and watch some TV. That's probably another indulgence reserved mostly for married mothers who can relax while their husbands are doing the dishes and putting the kids to bed. Or wives. Right? Lots of people believe this. I'm embarrassed to admit that I used to be one of them. But that was before I read a study that directly tested whether the time poverty thesis was true. Hmm. In their investigation of a nationally representative sample of more than 23,000 mothers, uh, Joanna Pepin, Leanna Sayer, and Lynn Casper found that single mothers did less housework and spent more time on leisure and sleeping than married mothers. What's more, the single mothers managed all that while spending no less time caring for their children. How is this possible? How is this possible? Uh, So uh, 
who were these mothers? Uh, there were slightly more than 23,000 of them. They were between the ages of 18 and 54, and they were living with children under the age of 13. As part of the American Time Use Survey, they reported their activities during the previous 24 hours in a computer-assisted like telephone thing, okay. just like a phone tree. Yeah. And the surveys were conducted between uh, 2003 and 2012, so a long-ranging mm. study. Okay. White, black, and Hist uh, Hispanic mothers were included. Others, such as Asians, were excluded because there were too few in the sample okay. to be statistically significant. I see. Yeah. Um, the married mothers were all married to a man okay. in this study. Uh, their time use was compared to that of mothers who had never been married, as well as mothers who were divorced or separated. Uh, and mothers cohabitating with a man but not married uh -huh. were also included. Okay. So here's a closer look at the findings. Okay. okay? So how is it possible that single, mo single mothers have more leisure, get more sleep, and do less housework than married mothers, right? <laughs> it seems anti-intuitive. Uh, so the findings from the survey cannot definitively answer the question of why married mothers get less sleep and have less time for leisure while spending more time on chores and single mothers, but the authors considered several possibilities. And the explanation they favor, looking at the data, is that married mothers are trying to fill the role of the good wife and the good mother. Oh. In a heterosexual marriage, it is the wife who is supposed, in our culture, to prioritize cooking and cleaning over her own leisure or sleep. Among scholars, this is known as doing gender. Which I love. Oh wow! Doing gender. Oh my god! Performing I love gender. Love that phrase. Like gender. Do like gender is more a performance yeah. than an actual physical fact. Doing gender. Doing gender. We're wow. doing gender. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, just take a little note on that because it's just so great. Um, so all that time spent on chores at the expense of things that are relaxing is a performance. Mm. It is a way of demonstrating what a good wife and mother you are. Oh my. And with no spouse in the house, single mothers do not feel that same pressure. Okay, so did the people who are partnered with somebody but not married have the same... Great question. <laughs> what about the mothers who are cohabitating? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are living with a male romantic partner, but they are not married. Perhaps then they don't feel the same pressure to sacrifice their own sleep and leisure and do more of the chores. The cohabitating mothers did the same amount of childcare and housework as married mothers, and they got the same amount of sleep, but they spent lots more time on leisure. Interesting. So nothing about the dynamic is different. You're living with a guy who is your romantic partner and the father of your kids, but just the fact of being married versus not being married, just a piece of paper, just, a, just that, that, that extra little bit of relationship there Interesting. totally changes the amount of time spent on leisure so because how, you feel a need to perform, to do gender. How many people reading this article are married to uh, women who are married to a man and they're like, okay, I'm filing for divorce tomorrow. Right? <laughs> Look, you can still live here, but we're not going to be married anymore because yeah. I need some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a very valid question asked here. Are these results really about having a spouse in the house? What about some other adult? Okay. Reasonable okay. question. Uh, she says, the authors want to make the case that having a husband around is the key to all that extra time ma married mothers spend on chores and the time they don't spend relaxing. After all, just living with a male partner wasn't the same, right, statistically right. speaking, right? But what if maybe adding any adult to the household, not just a husband or romantic partner, would result in more chores and less leisure for mothers? The American Time Use Survey provided a way to address that question. The survey collected data on whether the mothers had any other adult extended family members in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, and that did make a difference in the time mothers spent on housework, but in the exact 
opposite way. Because there were more, another adults share the load. Mothers who lived with extended family members, such as grandparents or aunts or other relatives, spent less time on housework. As we've already seen, mothers with a spouse in the house spent more time on housework. Mothers who had extended family members around also spent less time on childcare. The presence of extended family members, however, made no difference in the amount of time mothers spent on leisure or sleeping. So rather than adding to mothers' chores by making messes that they don't clean up or creating expectations that mothers should be doing more cleaning and caretaking, extended family members seem to extend a hand. Mm. You know, apparently they, they help out with the chores and the childcare, and they are probably important to the children in many ways. So how That's fascinating. is all of this? That is so fascinating. Yeah. Huh. huh. Gives me some stuff to think about. I know. Here's another way to reduce the amount of time you spend child rearing and increase the amount of time you sleep and do leisure. Don't have kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's uh, the path you and I have chosen. With apologies to all of our dear Mr. Stars who are parents, because know. you know what? You're, you, you're uniformly great parents. We see you out there. I we know. know it's a lot of work. And you know what? We're not going to have the the amazing solace and comfort that children bring to us all through your life. You know, we, we won't have that. But we're okay with that too. Um, but this doing is, gender. But we love your kids. That's we're, what we do. We're doing gender. We're doing gender. I love it. Amazing. That was very fascinating. Right? I am less dumb. Thank you. Yeah. I have an, uh, an item for this segment as well. Awesome. I read this long piece in the Seattle Times yesterday, which... I, we should link in case anybody wants to dive deep because this, the personal stories behind this that were detailed in the article are just fascinating and beautiful and really cool. Mm. But this, uh, the the headline is uh, just says this. The headline says, um, "Sorry, I was scrolled down uh, in the article." A catatonic woman awakened after twenty years. Her story may change psychiatry. Wow. Okay. Saw the headline. Purposely didn't read it because I knew you were going to talk about it here, and I decided to let you oh, talk me through it a little bit. I will, and then you should go read it. I will. Because it's just so cool. So this woman uh, that, that the story is sort of centered around, um, her name is April, and uh, she uh, was just a vibrant, smart, uh, healthy Kid growing up, she was, and then sometime around uh, in her early twenties, I think it was, uh, was when she was at, at, at college. She had um, some kind of traumatic experience, mm -hmm. and physically or emotionally, or they don't say. They specifically say that, that they don't. They're not talking about it to protect her privacy. Ah. So I don't know what it is. Um, but shortly after that, uh, her personality started changing and. Pretty soon, like a, she declined pretty rapidly over over a, a short period of time, and ultimately became catatonic. Like, so what's the difference between being catatonic and being like in a coma? Okay, in a coma, you're not conscious. Mm -hmm. Like, so like you're you're like essentially asleep, right? Mm -hmm. Non-responsive to any stimulus, that kind of thing. Yeah. Catatonic, like so. April was up. She was able to walk, move around be awake, mm. see, like, look around at the world, but not, um, not responsive in any way, like, to, like, not, not speaking, unable to, like, she would, she would scribble, like, on pieces of paper, mm -hmm. things that, that resembled, like, math equations, mm. uh, she was really into accounts. She was studying accounting hmm. when she, you know, was she used to help her dad with accounting books or whatever, so this was, like, something she did, but it was all just, like, nonsense, you mm. know? So th think of the movie Awakenings. Do you remember the movie Awakenings? Vaguely. Did you ever see it? Um, 
these folks are in this catatonic state. They are awake, but not awake, Mm -hmm. if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, So she spent 20 years in this state. Wow. And at some point early on, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a form of schizophrenia where folks can become catatonic Mm -hmm. like this, right? Um, So the article goes into so much more detail and it's so interesting. Go read it. But... Long story short is that this uh, this this group of doctors began um, uh, discovering this idea that some patients that ha- that that are that are diagnosed with schizophrenia and, and are in a, a catatonic state like this that the the brain is is uh, is in this state because the person has an autoimmune disease. Hmm. And they just had never looked at this before or known to look for it before. April uh, has lupus, and that is an autoimmune Hmm. disease. There are Mm -hmm. lots of different kinds of autoimmune diseases. But in this particular case, they wondered if the, the, you know, an an autoimmune disease, to put very simply and probably not completely scientifically accurately, but I'm doing it the best I can here. Uh-huh. Essentially, in, in an autoimmune disease, your immune system is out of whack, right? Mm-hmm. And and oftentimes, it produces antibodies that attack things in your body that they shouldn't be attacking, right? Antibodies yeah. are meant to attack infection and foreign bodies and- In a you know, targeted the, and like commensurate way. <laughs> right. Proportional way. Right, but an autoimmune response, or an auto, like in, in an autoimmune disease- the, the body's producing antibodies that are that actually end up harming the body. Mm-hmm. So this theory was that that April had an autoimmune disease that was producing antibodies that was attacking neurons in her brain Whoa. that was causing the state. So they had enough evidence of this potential uh, that they they devised a treatment scheme for her and they um, got permission from her family to do this, obviously. And over the course of several months, they gave her... Uh, heavy doses of, I think, like there was like chemotherapy involved, like the kinds of like, like blast, you know, the kind of treatment that blasts. They usually they would use to blast like a, a person with an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Like so, they they devised this, these treatments, and and it, you know, it, the the point of it was to try to like reset her immune system, mm-hmm. essentially, so that it stopped attacking the neurons in her brain, mm-hmm. right? And over the course of these several months, uh, she started showing slow progress. And by the end of this course of treatment, uh, and a few months after the treatment ended, she woke up Hmm. like she was April again. Hmm. She was able to recognize her family, talk with them. It was was in the middle of COVID when when she woke up. And so she couldn't actually have like an in-person reunion with her family until like a year and a half later or something like that. I know it, it is, but... But but they but they were able to like she and she had all of her memories from her pre catatonic state. They they were able to you know she was able to 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 do she was able to get well enough that that a court decided she could uh, she was capable of dismissing herself from the mental institution she wow. had been living in for twenty years. Wow! Right and and since then she is kind of. Um, uh, she's had some issues, and they're they're working stuff out with her. But they've taken this. Um, she's she's largely she's largely doing okay. I think she maybe lives in an assisted living place now, mm-hmm. but she and she's not you know completely back with her family or anything like that. But she's remarkably improved. Mm. And they've taken what they learned from her situation and have started looking for other 
patients in psychiatric hospitals mm -hmm. who are living in this catatonic state, mm -hmm. and they now know that they can test, they can do blood tests yeah. to see if they have potentially an autoimmune disease that's causing their psychiatric condition. Whoa. Isn't it crazy? It's amazing. So the, the article goes into this other woman, and I, I won't spend as much time describing it, but like, this woman, uh, the second person that they talk about, uh, when she was nine, mm -hmm. went into a, a sort of schizophrenic catatonic state. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's 10 years later, she was one of the people that they that they found after April, the success with April. Yeah. And they've given her the same, you know, same kind of treatment where they blast her immune system. Did you come back? Stuff, and she's completely back. She's Whoa. back, back. She's like living with her family again. She's taking care of her nieces and nephews. Whoa. She's like, she's back. Hmm. It's amazing. Like, so I have a question about April. Okay. So what, uh, does she have memories of her catatonic time? When she was up and about and awake but not awake? They didn't uh, they, they didn't specifically talk about it, but one thing they did mention is that uh, these patients that they've treated, they and in April included, they part of what happens on on the road to the catatonic state and during that is that there's they hear have hallucinations, mm -hmm. they hear voices, um, and that kind of thing. And these patients now on the other side of their treatment are able to look back at their hallucinations and recognize that they were hallucinations. Mm. So like a lot of folks, even if they get a little bit better, usually they, they sometimes have a hard time acknowledging or, or understanding that, that like the voices they heard in their head or the hallucinations they had weren't real. Mm -hmm. But these patients are able to recognize that those things were not real. It's it's amazing. Wow! I just like this kind of stuff. I didn't I wasn't sure to put it in good news machine or let's get less dumb. I just it was just so interesting and mm. like I felt like it was just this. I just it's so encouraging that there are people doing this kind of work. Like they could really help a lot of people. And it's not like every person who's diagnosed with schizophrenia, they don't you know they 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 have they don't have any reason to believe that every schizophrenic person is that way because they have an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. But there could be a large number of people that could be helped hmm. uh, if they got the right kind of treatment. Man. It's amazing. It's neat. It's so cool. We know so little about how the brain works. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating. So anyway, I, wow. I highly encourage you to go read the article. It's just, it's it's fascinating. Send me a link to it and I'll put it in the show notes. I will do that. Okay. Absolutely. Love it. Sounds great. Well, uh, Jamie, mm -hmm. where is my gold star? Well, that's a great question. I guess it sort of depends on what you've done. Uh, well, what we did, you and I, oh. is we released our new 80s kids song. And I just wanted yeah. to talk about it. It feels so good to have this out in the world. Um, and the response has been awesome. And I believe that I, I, I would like to request a gold star for our work. On this song. Well, you know what? Thinking about it, let's just like weigh the pros and cons. Uh, the pros are, I think it came out really great. Yeah. I think that all uh, the music came out great and your vocal performance was stellar. Uh, the cons, uh, I can't think of any. Okay, okay. So I think that you get a gold star. Yes. Hell, I think that we get a gold yes, star. Yes, exactly. We both do. Awesome. So this is the third song in our 80s Kids Project. Mm -hmm. um, we did Wouldn't It Be Good. We mm -hmm. did Drive and then Take On Me. Mm -hmm. What was the experience like for you doing Take On Me? Oh, man. Uh, it was great. It was a lot. Um, 
I thought that doing drive was a lot, right? Because like we were like, <laughs> we were really working hard to be as true as we could to a John Mutt Lang production. And he was famous for being fastidious in the studio and having so many layers. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of work. And if you listen to drive, there's stuff going on all over the place all the time, but really subtly so. Mm-hmm. You can listen to it on one layer and it just sounds like this nice little plastic yeah. thing bubbling along. But if you really listen like in headphones, it's like there's a new thing about every three and a half seconds for right. the entirety of the song. Just a little bit of, your candy on the left, on the right, in the middle, just, it's amazing. Uh, that was a lot of work. Take On Me far surpassed that. I thought, we thought, when we started Take On Me, like, oh, it's just a little, simple little pop song. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, 20 tracks, 25 tracks. Oh my gosh. There are more than 120 tracks of audio on our recording of Take On Me. Gosh. Now, to be fair, there's some stuff that they did kind of live in the moment by chaining synthesizers together, you know, and recording the result of them all chained together, kind of mixing it down to one right. thing and recording that, like, live out of necessity, really. Uh, because the studio technology was so much more limited. You were recording on tape back in the yeah, day, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, for stuff like that, say that there were five layers. I just had all five layers separate. So yeah. sometimes there were five times as many things as needed to be, you know? And there were other instances like that too. But like also that main riff, the da 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 That's like how many layers of synthesizers? That's five synthesizers, <laughs> a reverb, and a delay. <laughs> So seven tracks of audio. To get that one single note sound yeah. that does that riff. Yep. <laughs> to get that one single note sound that does that riff, you know. But like it came out emotionally perfectly. It did. You know what I mean? It's doing exactly the thing that it's supposed to do. It's got that joyous but restrained bouncy lift. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's like extra medium. I want to say extra medium. <laughs> it's not large. Yeah. It's like, but it's not medium. It's no, extra medium. It's I, like this very specific place. I see. I feel you. Yeah. yeah. So um, I want to talk about one of the first things we do when we start an 80s kid song is that we start with the rhythm, the rhythm section, yep. the drum track. Yeah. It's a good can, framework to hang everything else on. Yeah. And so the, one of the first things that we did was we went in search of figuring out how to craft a snare sound. Yeah. This sound is something like the snare sound on the AHA recording. For people who aren't studio musicians, the snare sound is the one that's on the backbeat in modern pop music. So one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. It's that sound that sort of anchors the backbeat. Yeah. So we went in search of, not in search, we tried to build a snare sound. Like, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll... We'll we'll craft a sound that sounds like their their snare. It's usually not very hard at all. No big deal, right? Like the snare and drive, like that took some time, but we were able to get basically exactly in the same place as the original recording. And we were like, we would we would do it. We were like, okay, maybe we're I think I think we're close. I think we're close. And then we go listen to the reference track and we're like, oh God, no, we're way off. Wildly off. Go back to the drawing board. Try a bunch of of other things. Okay, I think actually I think this is it. This is this is this is gonna be it. Go back and listen to the reference track. Totally not it. Yeah. Like two hours later. Oh, yeah. Of just working on the snare. Oh, yeah. We're like, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. It's an impossible task. We will never be able in our lives to make a snare sound that sounds just like they're recording. So we just- It's, a, it's an unrecreatable sound <laughs> as far as I can tell. It's, now, like, I'm not these days a slouch of an engineer, right? And also, no. like, I have built up a considerable library of drum samples and drum sounds and all different kinds of drum and textures. tools to affect those things, those sounds and, like, all Absolutely that. couldn't even get close. No. It was just, like, it's just this unbelievable, unattainable thing. But what we did do 
is we achieved a snare sound that emotionally yeah. gets exactly to the point. Yep. So high five for that, except yep. I'm gonna, not going to actually high five you. I'm, I'm like Roy Kent in Ted Lasso right mm-hmm. now. He he doesn't get a whistle, but he just says whistle. So I'm just going to say <laughs> high five instead of actually high fiving you. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> whistle. <laughs> whistle. High five. Um, so high five for getting an emotionally resonant snare. Yeah. The recording was so fun to do. Yeah. We had such a great time. Thank you, everybody f- who has given us your uh, your encouragement and feedback since we released it last week. And if you haven't yet listened to it, go listen to it. Put it on your playlists. Share it with people you love. Enjoy listening to this song all summer. I also want people to know that I did an emergency remix of the song like six hours before it came out. <laughs> Like, no kidding. Uh, like, I listened to it. I put it on over breakfast just to do one last listen. And I was like, the vocal's not sitting right for me. It just felt like not, like it wasn't quite honoring the bouncy joy with which Shannon delivered it. Like, she delivered it in such a specific way. It's another extra medium kind of thing. Like, it's not an over-the-top bouncy, but it's not subdued. It's just right in this in-between kind of space where it's got life and bounce, but also a little regret and a little just like emotion in there, you know? Mm. And I just felt like I was not honoring that properly with like the treatment and the processing that I had on it. So I completely redid it. I spent like another four hours last (laughs) Thursday, like in the afternoon and like got it finished, no joke, probably about three hours before it actually eventually went on Bandcamp. The, the original mix of the song was completed weeks ago. Yeah. Like, because that's what you have to do to get things up online in time. Yeah. Anyway, well, you did a great job. Well, thank you. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I think so. I am under the impression that you are in search of yet another gold star for yourself today. Is that true? Yes. What is it? Well, I don't want to brag, but after how many? S- seven months of working on it. I am finished with the mixes for the Small Dinosaurs record. No way. Yes. I didn't even know that. I got an email this morning. I didn't tell you because I wanted to surprise you here on the show. Oh my gosh. I know. So you're done. Done with done, the mixes. Done. I need to master it. Okay. That's a different process. Yes. That's where you people, if you don't understand what mastering is. So mixing, you take each individual song and make it sound as good as you can. Mastering is just look at the record as a whole. And maybe one song's a little too loud. Maybe one song's a little too soft. One's a little too dark. One's a little too bright. And you just make them fit together nicely like a little family so the listening experience is cohesive across the record. Right. That's what mastering yeah. is. And uh, I just need to do that last little piece. But because I was the one who recorded it and the one who mixed it, mastering won't, won't have surprises for me. Right. Right. You know, it'll just be little nudges here, little nudges there. Awesome. Shouldn't take too long at all. So that is great it's, a, it's news. a big deal. And you totally get a gold star. Awesome. Thank you so much. And high five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making the sound, by the way. Shannon says high five and I just clap my hands. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually participating in of, that anymore. A little bit of studio trickery over here at Misfit Stars. <laughs> That's very exciting. I'm yeah. very, very happy for you. And the album sounds awesome. Yeah. And hey, by the way, I don't want to brag, but I actually have one more request for a gold star. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I and was it's, just to... a, it's just a little one. What is it? I just made a really great contact yesterday for another one of this series of theater shows we're doing. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's great. Gold star. Um, gold star when we actually have it booked. Gold star when we actually have the show done and it's awesome. Right? Provisional <laughs> placeholder yeah. gold star. I like it. Very All cool. Right, cool. Well, Jamie, mm-hmm. uh, this feels important. It does, but I am uh, 
really working on turning the uh, This Feels Important franchise around. Okay. And so this is a positive one. Excellent. Not negative. I'm so happy about uh-huh. that. So uh, this amazing thing has happened in Mississippi with her educational system. Whoa, okay. I actually, I read about this in a newsletter I get each morning called The Morning Dispatch. Okay. Uh, Longtime listeners of the podcast might be shocked to know that it is a newsletter that is written from a conservative point of view. Because as a responsible news consumer, I try to educate myself from perspectives across the ideological spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what they have to say is horseshit. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's not Fox News type horseshit where they're just saying it in bad faith. Yeah. It's stuff that they genuinely believe for their misguided reasons mm. and are genuinely in good faith advocating for in a good faith way. Okay. And I feel like it's important to understand where people like that are coming from because you sure. know what? Not everybody thinks like I do. And it's really important, I think, to know how people who think differently from you are thinking. Mm-hmm. Not just to sort of wall them off and have no idea what they're thinking at all. That's yeah. not helpful to anybody. Fair point. You know? Uh, Kind of like when you're preparing for a football game, like you spend a lot of time watching video of the other teams. So you yeah. know what they're going to do. It's, it's, That's why I get the dispatch. You're watching the tapes. I'm yeah. watching the tapes. So uh, they have a really nice section, though, at the end of the newsletter. That's really not an ideological thing. It's called worth your time. And it's just something that they found that, like like we do here, they're like, mm-hmm. I want to spotlight this. This is cool. Yeah, okay. So I'm just going to uh, read their little précis. It's actually apropos of a New York Times article. Okay. So... Uh, Poverty shouldn't be an excuse to give up on children, and Mississippi proves it, Nicholas Kristof reports. The poorest state in the union. Mississippi is the poorest state in the union, right? Long, the poster child for poor outcomes, is turning its educational system around. Okay. Uh, Quoting here, with an all-out effort over the past decade to get all children to read by the end of third grade and by extensive reliance on research and metrics, Mississippi has shown that it is possible to raise standards even in a state ranked dead last in the country in child poverty and hunger and second highest in teen births, Mm. Uh, Christoph writes in the New York Times. Mississippi has achieved its gains despite ranking 46th in spending per pupil in grades K to 12. Its low price tag is one reason Mississippi's strategy might be replicable in other states. Mm -hmm. And that's why this feels important. What's their strategy? Um, well, I mean, it was really just that uh, really research and metrics-based focus on uh, on, on literacy. Okay. Yeah, specifically on child literacy, you know, because they had a huge problem with it. And so they just focused on it. I guess I'm curious, what the what does it mean to focus on it? Because, like, I'm, I'm sure every school does that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right, right, right. That, is a, that is a fair, uh, it's a fair comment. Um, so... I'll be frank, I don't know. Okay. Um, but I can tell you that Mississippi, for uh, uh, among children in poverty, Mississippi fourth graders are now tied for best performers in the nation in the National Assessment of Educational Process uh, reading tests, and they rank second in math. So it's not just uh, reading, you know, mm. it was more comprehensive than that. Uh, and they've also lifted their high school graduation rates. In 2011, 75% of students graduated, four points below the national average. By 2020, the state had surpassed the national average of eight. 87% by one point. Hey, that's great. It's really, really, really cool. Um, so uh, I'm just kind of scrolling here because frankly, I only read the thing in the dispatch. I didn't have the time to read mm. the New York Times article. Um, so I frankly don't know what it's they okay. do. It's okay. Yeah. Um, there is a, a thing though that uh, that I'm seeing here. Mississippi's success has no single origin moment. 
reading from the article, but one turning point was arguably when Jim Barksdale decided to retire in the state. A former CEO of Netscape, that was an internet 1.0. Oh, yeah. Like, he sold Netscape back in the day and made a bajillion dollars, and, you know, he had, he had grown up in Mississippi and was humiliated by its history of racism and underperformance. Mm. Uh, my home state was always held in a low regard, he told me. I always felt embarrassed by that. He cast about for ways to improve education in the state, and in 2000, he and his wife contributed $100 million to create a reading institute in Jackson that has proved very influential. Uh, beyond the money, he brought to the table a good relationship with officials, such as the governor, as well as an executive's focus focus on measurement and bang for the buck and these have characterized Mississippi's push ever since. So really, this guy who took a personal interest mm -hmm. kind of brought a series of business-esque best practices to education. Mm, interesting. Really interesting. Like how to focus and test on metrics and like actually be aiming at something. You so know? they didn't have, they didn't throw a bunch of money at it, but they had a rich guy who had a bunch of time to put into it and willing to do that. Well, he kickstarted it, but he's not the one who uh, ultimately did it. Okay. Uh, he did contribute $100 million to it. But if you think, oh. you know, it says, and I already read that to you. Um, didn't I? I think so. Um, yeah, I did. So, uh, you know, $100 million sounds like a lot of money. It is absolutely not a lot of money. You could put $100 into every single state. I, for I get that, but also school districts are always scraping like, and their budgets are being cut all the time. Like they would probably, a state would probably love an extra $100 million oh, for, for sure. their school's budget. Oh, 100% true. Yeah. Also, the problems that places like Mississippi have budgetarily on a year-by-year -year basis for schools are measured in the billions, not in the in the millions. You know what I mean? It's a different scale of problem. Mm. So, you know, uh, but uh, it says here, a crucial milestone came in 2013 when state Republicans pushed through a package of legislation focused on education and when Mississippi recruited a new state superintendent of education, Carrie Wright, from the Washington, D.C. school system. Wright ran the school system brilliantly until her retirement last year, uh, meticulously ensuring that all schools actually carried out new policies and improved outcomes. So it was really, you know, not a lot uh, aside from just like really focusing on it, it sounds like. It says here that- I mean, there's a whole lot doing the- there's a whole lot with the words focusing on. Like, we don't know. We do, I mean, like, I, great for them. I'm so glad for their results. Yeah. But like, there's not- the, we're not, we're, we're not hearing in this article like what that actually- Means. Yeah. Well, there are some specifics here. So uh, it says here that one pillar of Mississippi's new strategy was increasing reliance on phonics and a broader approach to literacy called the science of reading, which has been gaining ground around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, Mississippi was at the forefront of this movement. Um, right buttressed the curriculum with a major push for professional development also, with the state uh, sending coaches around the state to work with teachers, especially at schools that lagged. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, professional development, teacher coaching, that kind of thing. The 2013 legislative package also invested in pre-K programs, targeting low-income areas specifically. Uh, Mississippi made the calculated decision to offer high-quality, full-day programs with qualified teachers paid at the same rate as elementary school staff members, rather than offer a second rate program to more children. The pre-Ks get children started on recognizing letters, numbers, and sounds. And uh, more importantly, they help kids adjust to classrooms so that they can subsequently thrive more when they get to right. actual pre -K school. Pre-K is something that has been shown to really help with child literacy. And like that's something that that Democrats were trying to pass nationally last year, but were stymied by yeah. Republicans in Congress. And it says here, perhaps the most important single element of the 2013 legislative package was a test informally called the third grade gate. Any child who does not pass a reading test at the end of third grade is held back and has to redo the year. 
Mm. Uh, this was controversial. Yeah. Would this mean holding back a disproportionate share of black and brown children from low-income families, leaving them demoralized and stigmatized? What about ch children with learning disabilities? In fact, the third grade gate lit a fire under Mississippi. It injected accountability. Principals, teachers, parents, and children themselves were galvanized to ensure that kids actually learned to read. Each child's progress in reading is carefully monitored, and those who lag as early as kindergarten and ramping up in second and third grades are given additional tutoring. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like they're set adrift, and then mm -hmm. if they don't pass a thing, they're mm -hmm. shamed. It's right. like they're monitored all along the way, and they're given in real time the extra resources they need so that they don't fail. That's the point great. is that they don't fail, and yeah. the metrics are showing that. like Their graduation rates and their success rates are dramatically improved. That's I mean, awesome. It's just remarkable. But what's the really cool thing about it mm -hmm. is the fact that they did this as the poorest state in the nation. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yes, they got a little bit of a, a fuel injection bump at the very beginning of it, you know, right. for that seed money to kind of start the, what would you call it, discovery process or whatever mm -hmm. around this, you know? And we can't discount that. I'm sure it was really helpful. Yeah. Also, like, this is replicable in other places. That's mm. the really exciting thing about this. Mm -hmm. Like the, the sort of TLDR that I was getting from the dispatch piece was like, if Mississippi can do this, anybody can do this. And they framed it in a really good way, um, you know, because they make the very good point here um, that, uh, you know, it's low price tag is one reason Mississippi's strategy might be replicable in other states. Mm -hmm. While education reforms around the country have often been, as we have seen, ferociously contentious <laughs> and have involved <laughs> battles with teachers' unions, right? Like yeah. a real, uh, like, uh, antagonistic kind of process. Mm -hmm. This education reform revolution unfolded with support from teachers and their union. Mm -hmm. Like they did it in concert with the union working Great. together to make it work. Yeah. Education reformers have often thought it hopeless to tackle state public school systems directly, and so have often pursued mm. the equivalent of bank shots. For example, run effective charter schools, for example, and hope that public schools can adopt lessons learned like oh. obliquely from the charter schools. But Mississippi raises the question of whether we truly need those bank shots or whether like, we can actually just engage with reforms directly mm. in this like partnership between legislators and the school systems they're like legislating around. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah, very you cool. Know? Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh-huh. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you feel, I don't know, inspired a little bit. I do. That's good. Yeah. Good. Totally. Uh, speaking of inspiration, it's time to cruise into the Inspiration Station. Inspiration Station. What you got? So I have seen this meme floating about the last week or so, and it popped up again today for me, and I wanted to share it. Uh, it's uh, It was on Instagram from a, an account called Compass Collective, and it's like a, a, it's a photo of like one of those roadside, um, like roadwork signs that you see on the freeway, you know, like that might have been announced like a closure ahead or whatever. Yeah, like one of those orange signs I can put a message on. Exactly. And this message just says, uh, reminder, people who show you new music are important. Ah! And I just love that. Like, yes, the people who show you new music, they it's, imp it's important to be introduced to new stuff, right? Like, yeah. And like, probably you're that person in my life mostly for mm -hmm, me. Like, mm -hmm. you show me new music more than anybody else. Yeah. And like, it has totally enriched my life. Mm -hmm. I have some of my favorite bands now that I know because you're like, hey, let's listen to this, yeah. you know? Um, so I just thought, I just found that inspiring. And I also thought anyone listening here, if uh, you want to become extra important to the people in your life, show them new music. Yeah. Be that person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, specifically, why don't you show them a little 80s kids cover song that we just released last <laughs> week? I love it. You know, just to tie that tie that back to man real talk about this though like i had this 
absolutely pivotal moment in my childhood when I was 15 years old. Mm. Uh, Isaac Stokes, he was like an upperclassman. I was a sophomore. I think mm -hmm. he was a junior, senior, uh, maybe a junior, two years ahead of me, perhaps. Uh, I still, to this day, I'm not quite sure why he did this, but like at this party that we were both at, at Scott Berkey's house, uh, <laughs> Like, you know, in 19, very early 1980, I think it was like January 6th, 1988, something like that. Whoa. I have actually pinned down the exact date of this happening. Oh, okay, I'm talking, like, that's really specific. No, I talked with Scott about it and figured it out <gasps> oh a while gosh. back. Yeah, because he was the one who held the party and we're still in touch. That's amazing. Um, it was one of these, like, your parents are out of town, you're having a party at your house kind of thing. Yeah. yeah it was epic. It was a great party. I kissed an exchange student from Finland. <gasps> wow. I know. This is like the beginning of a John Hughes movie. Oh, man, I yeah. wish it were. But it really, it was one of those weird sort of things that happens like that when you're 15 where it's like, you kind of end up in the same room, you kiss for like three minutes and then like someone comes in, you both leave and you never see each other again. You know what I mean? Right. It was sad. Aww. Man, it was so great. Um, so what year? Like very beginning of like first week of 1988. 88. Okay. Yeah. So I was 15. I had just turned 15 a okay. couple months before at this same party. So not only did I have the Finland exchange student kiss, right? And like I didn't get kissed much when I was 15 or really until I was somewhat older, you know? Um, so it was already a banner day for me. You yeah, know what I mean? I totally. wasn't just like Jamie McKissy face like in high school. <laughs> it really didn't happen much at all. So all of a sudden That's it was the like, name of the podcast today, Jamie, Jamie McKissy face. <laughs> I love that, it. That's the title of so today's good. episode yeah. for sure. I'm Scottish for this for some reason. <laughs> Not sure why. So uh, yeah, from from the Highland McKissy faces. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, so banner day. Banner you were day. kissed. I was kissed. And, but then for some reason, like later on that evening, Isaac Stokes like took me aside. He had brought a CD. Okay. His father owned a radio station at the time, like okay. some little radio station, maybe in town even. And they got sent all the promo stuff, but they were like, I think it might've been w, WCVR, like the little radio station at the bottom of the hill I mm -hmm. grew up on. Um, and it was a country station, but like radio promo people back in the day had these huge promo budgets they had to spend. They would just send every record to everybody. So they weren't... They, they, so they weren't was, necessarily just sending country music to the country station. No, they were sending like Cure records to the country station. Okay. I got all these amazing promos from Isaac back in the day cool. for stuff that he wasn't as into, but I was super into, you know, mm -hmm. or he thought I would be. So what did he show you? He showed me New Order. Um, I was literally listening to like the stuff you listened to in Central Vermont in the late 80s, like Guns N' Roses and ACDC and maybe some Rush if you're feeling adventurous and mm -hmm. smoke some pot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and he sat me down and he specifically played me the song True Faith. He's like, I just think you need to hear this. Oh my God. And it literally changed the course of my life. Wow. Literally. And he gave me the CD then to take home with me. That's the other thing. He played it for me and he's like, and he saw how I reacted to it. He's like, why don't you just take this home with you and keep it? It's yours now. Why do you think... He wanted to show it to you, that I, song to you specifically. I don't know. It was just one of those things. I know that, like, as I've gotten older and I've started mentoring people, I just show them things I think that would resonate yeah. with them. It was just like his 17-year-old version of that. I don't to this day know why he did it. But I am and will always remain so profoundly grateful to him. I think about him a lot because of this. Uh-huh. You I know, bet. and it's exactly what you're talking about. That's so cool. Yeah, it's so, so, so that cool. That is really cool. Well, you made my inspiration station item way cooler than it was <laughs> when I brought it to the table. So thank you. Sure. That was awesome. And you know, I actually came with my own very small inspiration station item. What is it? That I want to share. It's just a uh, little, uh, it's just a little, uh, just a little nice little glimpse of the day. 
Okay. Little Rigpa glimpse of what, the day. What is it? Uh, it says this. If your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. And this is the part I love. Mm. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. Mm, that's great. Oh. May we always have beginner's mind. May we That's always have so beginner's good. mind. Isn't that so wonderful? Yep, I love, love it. Love it so much. Thank you. Well, let, let us conclude this episode, this final episode of season five of the Misfit Stars wow. podcast. Wow. With a final gratitude crank up. All right, what you got? So I, um, a little preamble before I actually say this. I've been doing a daily gratitude practice for the last few years. I started it uh, mid-pandemic sometime. I'm not even sure when. Mm -hmm. um, but I decided that I needed a, a practice to where I, where every single day I spent a little bit of time making a list of things for which I was grateful that day. Um, and, uh, and they were sometimes big things and sometimes small things. And, mm -hmm. and I decided at the time that what I really needed uh, in order to get the most out of the practice was to make a list of five things every day. And so I've been doing that. And I started posting them publicly, first of all, in our Misfit Stars social network. And then eventually um, I started posting them to my stories on Instagram and Facebook and on Mastodon as well. Um, just, you know, uh, here's my, my list of the day. It's kind of like a way for me to be posting them on on the sites was kind of a way for me to be accountable, you yeah. know? Because like, I was like, I'm doing this daily. So yep. if, if I'm posting them daily, it's sort of like a way for me to be accountable to myself in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, that that was so good for me, that 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 way of doing that practice for a long time. And I, um, I got out of the habit a little bit when we were on our trip recently and uh, that the sort of the, the unplanned pause from that daily practice uh, gave me time to sort of think about what the practice was looking like for me and how th that maybe it was time for me to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I and I realized that um that doing the the five items was really good for me um for the last few years. It 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 kind of like uh forced me to get beyond the surface stuff, you mm -hmm. know, like if I you know said one or two things, I it might be real easy, but it might I wanted I wanted my I wanted to have to dig a little bit deeper for items three four and five mm -hmm. you know and and do that and that was great it was really good but I found myself feeling like like the that form of the practice was maybe getting a little bit stale for me so I just I've been thinking over the last couple of weeks how I wanted to re envision it and so mm. I'm doing that mm. and so what I have uh, decided that I want to focus on on my my daily gratitude practice these days, is to, at the end of each day, recall one small moment of joy. Mm -hmm. And and it's not, I, I don't think that these are going to be, you know, big revelatory things, mm -hmm. you know. My intention with this is that hopefully it will draw my attention to those, those very small moments. Mm -hmm. Like uh, yesterday, my post was, I just had real joy yesterday evening when I got an apple out to cut and I looked for the symmetry in the apple to decide how to mm -hmm. slice it into, into slices for you and me to share. Mm -hmm. Like that just brought me joy, mm. you know? That little tiny moment yeah. of finding the symmetry in an apple, yeah. right? 
I want to pay attention to those little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going forward, going to be doing my daily practice as a, a one small moment of joy. So my one small moment of joy for today uh-huh. is uh, that sweet feeling that I had this morning right after the coffee kicked in. <laughs> you know, like you have breakfast, you have the coffee, and then like 10 minutes or so later, it's just like, Oh yeah. And there's just this clarity of mind, a good feeling in my spirit. It was a small <laughs> moment of joy. I love it. And that's what I'm grateful for today. And the nice thing about that is it's very easily replicable. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Really all you gotta do is make coffee. I'll be doing that again tomorrow. <laughs> so good. You yeah. should just literally post that as your gratitude every single day. But don't no. copy and paste it. Type it new. No, I'm not going to do that. That would be amazing. Just is, wait until people notice. My point is to, it's not about other people. This practice is for me. That'd be so silly. The point for me is to attune myself, to attune my attention to small moments like that. I'm sure there's so many more throughout the day that I maybe just blow right by. I appreciate you taking my inane shit talking seriously. Okay, fine. What's your gratitude? <laughs> My uh, gratitude is I'm grateful for uh, a more relaxed schedule and interesting work to do in it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Very simply put, the first third of the year was hectic, you know? Um, Lots going on, very fast-paced, a lot of work. Uh, And I'm just reaching the end of a couple of... really great long-term projects here. Uh, I talked about the Small Dinos record. Uh, also very close to uh, moving Ben Shaw's record into mastering. We're just nailing down like literally the last three songs. I'll probably do that today. Cool. Um, it's entirely probable that within a couple of weeks, both those records will be just off. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's really exciting. So, you know, it's just going to really open up literal actual time for me, but also just headspace, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think about the things I'm working on all of the time. Oh, yeah, same. You know? Um, they're always just kind of ping-ponging around up there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. That's how I bring seemingly random insights <laughs> late in the game <laughs> to my projects, I think. Yeah. You know? But also, it's it's nice when it ends, too. So, uh, yeah, stoked about that. Awesome. You all, thank you so much for listening today and uh, and getting all the way to the end of season five of the Misfit Stars podcast with us. Wow. 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 You're the best. Um, gold star for you. A gold star for you, listeners. Um, and thank you uh, so, so much to all of you who are listening who are active supporters of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. People in our Misfit Stars community, the folks who make a small dollar monthly contribution to us and to the work we do. We wouldn't be able to do any of this without you. Yeah. And we are so, so deeply grateful. Um, Especially in this time. Yeah. Like we are, oh as you may have noticed, not embarking on a summer house concert tour this year, which has traditionally been our big you know, yearly moneymaker. That's really intentional. You know, We are taking this pivot, this new uh, era of live performance really seriously. And the fact that we have some monthly support from people who believe in what we're doing you know, uh, means that we're able to really be intentional about doing... We thought of this little phrase to kind of describe how we're doing shows this year. It's the right shows in the right spaces with the right people. We're really trying to be intentional about the collaborations with venues that we embark upon Mm -hmm. here. You know, putting this show 
into really good spaces with people who are going to work with us to help elevate the experience for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the blueprint we want to stamp out and kind of wireframe out in the first eight sort of locations around the country this year. Mm -hmm. Your support uh, is really what's helping make that happen for us. It's, it's literally keeping our mortgage paid and food in our bellies while we do this. Yeah. I can't tell you how grateful we are for that. Also, uh, if you're not yet part of our you know, recurring monthly support team and, and you love us, you love what we're doing, please consider uh, doing that. You know, the average donation, it's not expensive. It's like 10 bucks a month. If you're in a place in your life where that's something you can just like do, then please do. It might not seem like much to you, but if enough people do it, it really helps. Yes, it does. Misfitstars.com slash support. Thank you. That's it for the summer. Wow. We hope you have a great summer. We'll see you on the other side of it. We'll have stories to tell, I'm sure. Uh, we'll see you then. Yep. Until then, take good care of yourselves and be good to yours. No, no. Try again. Try again. Be good to yourselves. Yeah. And be good to each other. Just be good to everybody, people, is what Shannah's trying to say. say. Yeah. We love you. We love you all very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.